I was hoping you'd rap over that. That was me beatboxing. Uh, all right, all right. Here, start it again. <laughs> My name's Matt F., and I'm here to say we're going to talk about movies in an X-rated way. Can you feel the whiteness? <laughs> it's palpable. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard my my rapping cherry popped. <laughs> Never have I before done anything hip hop related. Wow, it was that was something special. Yep. Uh, welcome to X Rated Movies. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon, and uh... MC Fish, as the the kids in the hood call me, <laughs> and boy Ryan Wee. <laughs> oh wow. Is, is, is that uh oh hold on i gotta take this call it's it's def jam records asking to pick us up <laughs> are you sure it's not 1994 calling <laughs> Who, who's calling is it master p uh, yeah look at that <laughs> on your your car phone and dr dre yeah <laughs> my brother was really into like tripping out his uh his car was Thought it a low rider no it was a jeep wrangler <laughs> No Jeep Cherokee. Did it? Did it bounce? No. What sort of bling did it have? Nothing. He just put in big speakers. Oh, some subwoofers. My good friend in high school also did that in his uh, Acura. Yeah. <laughs> it was white and pretty dented, kind of like him. Oh my God, Matt. Yes. We were on a podcast. We were. <laughs> Someone was foolish enough to invite us on. Uh, yeah, conversation pieces with Travis and Kevin. Uh, It was a lot of fun, like legit, honest-to-God fun. It really was a lot of fun. It's the podcast where you bring something to the table, so all the guests literally bring something to talk about. Yeah, and our schedules are all weird, so I think it's already out. I think you can go on over to their podcast downloading area. Apple Podcasts or or Stitcher or Google Play. You know how it works. (laughs) You can listen to us uh, babble on with them. Yeah, they're two really funny, like legit funny people. Yeah. And way funnier than we are. Honestly, yeah. Like we can't compete. <laughs> I we resort to you know bells and whistles and special drops <laughs> to make us funny. So. A lot of toilet jokes, yeah. <laughs> cartoon sound effects. Uh, they don't need any of that. They're no. just they're just naturally funny. But anyway, go give a listen. It's good. Yeah, good, no, good they're times. super funny. I, I have another thing I wanted to talk to you about, Matt. Mm-hmm. This episode is coming out the day after Pride Weekend. Mm. And I'm, no wonder I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm dead. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what's something you're proud of? I'm sort of proud that I've like gotten my act together in mm-hmm. the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I am adulting very well these days while still maintaining some of my... Uh, youthful proclivities such as well i actually still maintain a certain level of sluttiness that i'm I'm happy about sluttiness knows no age <laughs> is my motto <laughs> a i'm just happy that i can still get some mm-hmm. that's always something to be proud of yeah for sure and you're the the older you get the more experience you have so the better slut you are yes there's definitely that i think it's just that you know i figured by the time i was 30 i would have given it all up but Apparently, I still have the power to elicit lust from people. So, uh, yeah, I'll say I'm I'm proud of being a, an adult and also being a 21 year old. <laughs> okay, well done. Uh, what about you? Oh, what are you, a lawyer? <laughs> Turning this around on me? <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. I'm actually, you know what? I'm kind of proud of this podcast sometimes. Oh, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. I feel like. Set, this is episode 76. And it, it's hot quality pod. Yeah. You know? Week after week. I mean, honestly, if I was in no way attached to this podcast, I would listen to it because this is like 100% the type of podcast I wish was out there. Not, that's it. Period. Well said. <laughs> good job. Good, good job, us. <laughs> do you have anything uh, that you like to do for Pride in general? Do you Stay have any good inside. Pride stories? <laughs> Oh, God, I do, but I don't know. Do you have to beep out like every other word? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there was definitely the public blowjob one that it was like in, like my friends were like within sight of it. You oh, know, my. You know where like the cha-cha and like bimbos are? Uh-huh. 
and there's like that little garage yeah. right next to it. Yes, I definitely got a blowjob in that garage with doors up, probably around like nine at night. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like people were very much walking by. I was 22, and I remember my friend Jen was like keeping guard, <laughs> and the guy who was blowing me, his drag queen friend, was like chat. They were like keeping each other company while <laughs> everything was happening, and the drag queen had like an ex-wife and like a couple kids oh, and like wow. you know full thing and then like the guy who was blowing me who like i was so drunk i couldn't pick out of a crowd of one <laughs> <laughs> after everything was finished was just like uh we gotta go and like they walk off and the drag queen goes oh great now i get to hear all about it <laughs> that's how you pride folks that's how an adult <laughs> prides what about you any pride stories i mean it's been so long now since i've actually gotten to celebrate because I, you know, I work at a gay bar, so I just work. That just means work for me. But I had a, rev- a realization last year because I came in. I was starting to come in pretty grumpy, and then it's like Pride's not about me anymore. You know, I live and work in the gay neighborhood here in Seattle, so I'm just constantly surrounded by queer culture. And you know, when Pride happens, it's for people who don't live in that. And they sure. get to come in and they get to celebrate and uh, they get to be around other queers, and it's it's about them. And so I, I tried to keep that in mind last year, and it really helped. Yeah, because, like, really, like, Seattle being a bubble, like, I think it's important that we, everyone who lives in Seattle needs to remember that. Yeah. Because, like, if you go to, like, Kent or Renton, you're out of the bubble. You like, don't have to go far. Yeah. Renton's, like, what, 10 miles away, like, as the crow flies. Yeah. But culturally, it can be very different. And... Yeah, if you live in Renton or Everett or well, Tacoma is pretty gay friendly, yeah. uh, Kent, uh, it's just a different atmosphere, yeah. and it can, uh, you know, most of like the restaurants or cafes or bars in the area have their rainbow flags up or some sort of emblem of solidarity towards you know the gays yeah. and the, the culture. But, you know, you just have to go outside of city limits, and that ends. Yeah. Pride is still important. Pride is vital. Mm-hmm. Matt. Matt, 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 Matt. Mr. Whedon. We're going to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time today. I'm excited. It's time to talk about The Fifth Element. God, where, what do you, how would you even describe it? Science fiction. Science fiction. <laughs> End uh, of list. <laughs> science fiction film <laughs> yeah. from 1997. <laughs> uh, it's Luc Besson's masterpiece. Yes. Definitely his best film in my mind. Yes. I don't want to just sit here and gush about this movie, even though I easily could. Well, I'll get the ball rolling All right. at, on sort of the non-gushing end of things. Okay, great. It's sort of a backhanded compliment, I'll mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. This movie is sort of a dense collection of things that I normally wouldn't like okay. in a movie, and it somehow works. It's like the uh, when Mr. Burns had like all the diseases and they got jammed in the door so no one of them could get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move it, shout ahead. We call it Three Stooges Syndrome. It's kind of how I feel about this movie. Okay. Uh, Luc Besson, not my favorite director. I think he mostly makes stupid movies. Mm-hmm. His early work's pretty good. I like... Uh, the Professional's a good movie. Professional's a good movie. Uh, La Femme de Quitte is a good movie. Yeah. I've heard good things about Subway. I haven't watched it yet, though. But everything he kind of made after this, I don't really like. Uh, Angel A or Angle A. Mm, no. Lucy. Lucy. I thought Lucy was so stupid. The Messenger. Like, I didn't see that one, but uh, mm, yeah. Joan of Arc. Not great stuff. Yeah, this movie hits a certain sweet spot of just sort of throwing everything at the wall, and somehow it all sticks. Mm-hmm. And... It makes this beautiful, colorful painting somehow. Yeah, because he also caught Bruce Willis before. Yeah. I I feel Bruce Willis, now he is playing what people think Bruce Willis acts like. Like, he had an acting style, and it gelled in people's mind, Uh and now he's just acting the way people perceive that he did act. 
I think he completely phoned shit in now. Yeah. And this caught him at that like cusp before he started phoning shit in. Mm -hmm. This was, uh, I think, the movie he did after Pulp Fiction. Uh, I mean, there must have been something between because Pulp Fiction was 94. This was 97. Oh, yeah. There's probably something in there. You're right. Yeah. Still same era. Like whatever age he was then. Yeah. Just three years later. Where's my fan? I mean, oh, so you think he's a, a sexy beast in this yes, one? Yes, yes. We'll get into it. There's a, one scene in particular that I'm like, this might be part of my sexual awakening. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but with Luc Besson, like, I don't know, French filmmakers, when they try and be funny, it usually is not my thing. <laughs> it just seems like goofy and childish to me for some reason. Mm hmm. I mean, sort of early on, like that guy who tries to to mug or hold up. Uh-huh. Uh, Did you recognize him, that actor? No. He's the lover boy photo booth repair guy in Amelie. Ugh. Same guy. Okay. Like the dude's like wearing that hat and it's like this like goofy sort of standoff thing. And if it was like handled any differently, I think this is a really stupid scene. Mm-hmm. But I'm on board with it. You like it? Like, I'm like, okay, this is kind of funny. It's sort of goofy. Yeah. There, the whole movie doesn't really take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps a lot. I feel like it takes itself seriously in craft, but not like in message. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, this time around, I actually I haven't seen it in a couple of years. And I've, I realized this time around that there are valid criticisms of it. And, um, Which are? I think that a lot of it is taste-based. But I will say one that I kind of took to heart was that women aren't don't get a great part in this movie. I mean, we've got Mila Jovovich as Lilu kicking ass, mm-hmm. but she does that for one scene. Yeah. And then for the rest of it, she just sort of gets delivered places, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so she doesn't get a ton to do. You could say the same thing about James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but overall, it's, it's I think it's one of the best summer movies I've ever seen because it never, it's never dull. It's always going. And right when you think it's going to start get, getting dull is when we get Ruby Rod. He's so talented, don't you think? I just love him. He's so sexy. Are we already s- sliding down the Not rod? Not yet. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still lining up my points to come back to. Okay. But we're we're going to get into Ruby Rod. Okay. Um, But I think there's a, I think there still is a lot that works in this movie. Number one, I think I'm just going to dive into it. I think is the actors that he got for this movie is a real win because Valerian with uh, Lord Dahan yeah. leading the crusade. <laughs> they it's like, God, I mean, on paper, they both look like the same movie almost in, in, in a lot of ways. But that movie falls flat because the actors are just terrible. Mm-hmm. And this movie Bruce Willis is a good actor. Ian Holm is a great actor. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman is great. He's a perfect actor. Oh, my God. He's terrific as Zorg. M- more than any other actor, I feel Gary Oldman, like, melts into the roles. Like, I know what he looks like, but to say, like, this is the same person who played Commissioner Gordon, who's the same person who played Sid Vicious, like, I don't see that. Yeah. Like, I never see him in these roles. Like, he just disappears into them. Yeah. And they're all a little hammy, you know? But Except for Commissioner Gordon. I mean, well, yeah. But, I mean, the characters in The Fifth Element are all a oh, little hammy. Oh, yes, yes. And so it just, it works. They all kind of, like, bounce off each other in, in a good way. I mean, Ian Holmes doing his thing. That's, yeah. He's kind of typecast as the, you know, sober, dour one mm-hmm. of the story. Because this was... Uh, the same year as Sweet Hereafter. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, the roles aren't terribly far removed from one another. <laughs> I like that this never, or at least I didn't notice it. This doesn't say what year it takes place in. And I hate it when movies that are like futuristic say like in 2017. And mm-hmm. it's like, we get to 2017. It's like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't look like Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, well, I think I think it starts in like 1914 or something. But it something. doesn't say, does it? I think it does. Oh, I didn't. I, I, it says I like Egypt AD 1914 or something. Oh, I thought it said like 50 years ago or something like that. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. But then I, it says 300 years later. I know that much. Yeah. So. I, yeah. It, but it doesn't specify it. But like if you're watching the movie and it says like 50 years ago, well, then it's 50 years from when you're watching it. Yeah. 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 But, you know, like 2001, we didn't get a space odyssey. Not at all. You know, we got snowboarding in the Olympics and overvalued Carson Daly. American Idol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, 
No. So I don't know. I don't like it when science fiction ties it to a specific year. Yeah. Because this just makes it feel like it's the future. Like, we don't know when in the future, just the future. Mm -hmm. I read a thing recently that said, I can't remember the name of the author, but she was saying that uh, this is actually a really good sci-fi movie in that we see a lot of the consequences of humans living the way that we live. Massive overpopulation. Massive overpopulation. The garbage problem with, like, in the airport. Things like that show how gross the future is going to be too if we keep going this way you know yeah because it's neither the smog in the city and stuff. yeah it's it's neither dystopian nor utopian mm-hmm. it's sort of like you know today except just more of it like yeah it's got more of the pros and the cons i guess i should say yeah yeah, yeah. and that's not usually the the line that they they walk like blade runner it's pretty dirty like it's it's grim and it's dark and it's bleak and then you know other movies it's usually bright and sunshiny and clean and technology fixed everything yeah and this kind of it's like eh, it's a little both and and i read that luke Besson was trying to do that on purpose he wanted like a colorful fun sci-fi um and oh my god we have to mention uh costumes by jean paul gautier oh i forgot about that he made all those he designed all those crazy ass costumes which are really good yeah yeah i've seen the one that uh lilu wears the like orange strappy thing mm. at the mopop oh um it's down there and she is tiny she <laughs> was a little thing yeah uh mila is it yo jovovich yeah jovovich mm, i don't know some people do the j silent she's one of those actresses that you know granted the resident evil franchise i'm, I'm sure has like built her a pyramid that she will one day be buried in. <laughs> but I feel like she actually had acting chops like before she got hijacked by that successful franchise. Agreed. She was in a couple Spike Lee movies, like as bit parts, but like Spike saw something in her mm-hmm. that he must have thought was great. She's actually a pretty good musician too. What did she play? She uh, she was in a... Uh, I can't remember if the name of her band was just her name and then the album was called The Divine Comedy or if the name of her band was called The Divine Comedy. Yeah, she sings and wrote wrote the songs with huh. the band. Yeah, and they're, it's actually a pretty good album. And she sings the very last song with Eric Serra. The middle of the... Oh, bridge. really? That's I totally her. have a note that says worst ending song <laughs> ever. I know it's not good. But that's her singing anyway. So. Okay. <laughs> I the robots that come down at the beginning. I, I uh, oh the Mondachuan. I gotta think that there's gotta be more dynamic or mobile robot <laughs> design parts. Yeah. Are they robots? I I just assume that. Well, they have like robot like... suits. Right. But I'm like, you have all this technology, and then like you clunker around like a penguin. <laughs> Maybe it has to do with, like, the gravity on their planet. Uh, But, I mean, their ship came into our atmosphere just fine. Like, they must know atmospheric differences and must be able to plan accordingly. I don't know. This time around when I was watching the part when uh, the one gets smashed in the wall as it's putting the key out, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, later that young priest has to go and, like, set up the temple for when they arrive with Lilo and stuff. And I was like, did he have to remove a huge carcass out of the way when he got in there? (laughs) That sucks. Yeah. Probably. Mm. Just like put this in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) I also noticed this time around, I don't know how I've never noticed this before, but there's like a constant soundtrack. Is there? I feel like the music never lets up. The Eric uh, 90s rock pop electronica bed i kind of don't hate it but it might i can't tell if that's it's because super 90s i know i can't tell if it's because i love this movie and i'm just like into it or if uh it actually is good <laughs> i do remember liking the soundtrack independently of the movie uh in high school but now it's like if i listen to you know the matrix soundtrack yeah outside the movie i'm like oh god it's this dated. is like this is like a, the defining point of 1999. <laughs> I do like the the sound design. There's a little light motif that comes on when uh, before Lilu is created, basically. It's like I'm not even gonna try and make it. it sounds almost like kind of a weird metallic bird kind of sound. Mm. And they repeat it a couple times, and it's—I think that's pretty good sound design. And I do kind of like the song when they're getting chased in the taxi cab by the police. Okay, yeah. Sounds like the Sex in the City music a little bit. So I'm just gonna say this now. I think you'll take this as a compliment. Lilu kind of reminds me of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just 
her facial expression, her posture, her shock of red hair. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. Danko. Specifically, the scene where she's like eating chicken while surfing the internet. Chicken. Good. I don't know. You put you put a little scruff on her, take away her boobs. I'm like, oh, that's kind of Ryan. I, I mean, I love it. She's. It's funny. And um, saw this movie. And I was like, I must have been 17, 16 or 17 when I saw it in the theater, and loved it. And I think I was still a little bit in denial at that point. So I was definitely like pushing up to like, God, she's beautiful, right, everybody? I think mm-hmm. she's super beautiful. And then I saw this later, you know, after you know coming to terms with everything and being like, actually, I'm into Bruce Willis. <laughs> I think. A little more. That scene, so, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, the scene where he's describing Lulu on the phone to his uh, boss, and he, like, lays down and puts his arm behind his head, and you can see his armpit and stuff. Five nine. Blue eyes, long legs, great skin. You know, perfect. I had a lot of feels when I was watching this movie this last time. I was like, I think this is, like... Sort of like watching uh, Chris O'Donnell doing flips in Batman Forever. Bruce Willis is a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just like... I bet he's really cool. Something, yeah, something happened in me in that scene. So. I st- I, his hotness, I think, still peaked with me with, with Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he was pretty good looking here. I, I kind of dug like the little blonde thing he had going on. Mm-hmm. It worked for him. Not... Not every guy can go from brunette to blonde, mm-hmm. uh, but he he seems to do it all right. I like that orange uh, sleeveless number too mm-hmm. that he's wearing, mm-hmm. rubber deal. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. He's so I'd still hit that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess also on that same note, while we're in Corbin's apartment, what do you think that place smells like? Because it's not any bigger but. than <laughs> it's not any bigger than a closet. No, I would imagine it smells like old socks. And laundry detergents. <laughs> He's and, got a cat too, so, so and kitty litter. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, it's, it's potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> Could you live in something like that? I was about to say I do, but my place is a little bigger than Corbin's. Yeah, it's a good like seven Three times, times bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but their place is very space efficient. Like the bed tucks into mm-hmm. the wall, like the closet like goes down, the shower pops up. Yeah. Like there's workable elements to it. It's not like a studio apartment necessarily. It sort of transforms into the necessary, you know, room that it needs to be. Yeah. And I like the, uh, the, like when the Thai food guy comes up mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, right up to your window. I would just- 100% do that because, there's times when I get takeout and it's not because like I don't want to cook or I don't want to see people. It's just that I don't want to like bathe or put on clothes. Yeah. It, were it socially acceptable for me to like, you know, walk to QFC in my pajamas, I would. I mean, it doesn't stop everyone on the hill, but <laughs> at least you have the decency, Matt. I feel like if you were in that like uh unit to unit sushi delivery train or whatever You'd get used to people in their pajamas. Yeah, like th- I think that would come to, with the territory for sure. So yeah, I wouldn't feel shame if I did that. Especially they seem to be they seem to have some kind of rapport. Like they know each other. He's ordered for there before. Yeah, yeah. He's got a punch card. I would totally 100 percent do that as well. So theory, do you think this is a uh, futuristic retelling of the film Taxi Driver? Go on. Bruce Willis is a taxi driver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lee Lu. Uh, is of course Jodie Foster and Gary Oldman is uh, Harvey Keitel, uh, the pimp who's trying to use her for nefarious deeds wow. to make him rich. Wow. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Travis Bickle and Corbin Dallas are both veterans. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. That's the end of my similarities. <laughs> <laughs> they both drive taxis. That's. Definitely the big one. At one point, uh, you know, Bruce Willis looks in a mirror. (laughs) So he talks on the phone. I mean, it's there. (laughs) I'm glad that you reached further for me. (laughs) Yeah, I love I love the design in general in this movie. Just like the taxis, like while we're talking about taxis, the taxis look really great. The special effects are actually pretty good. I feel like they hold up pretty well yeah this movie hits that nice stride of analog and digital it it, it was before digital took over everything Mm -hmm. so you have real costumes 
real makeup, real effects. And then digital is like in the background. You only use it when you can't do anything else. It felt like the way that I feel about digital effects, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but it's like, it should be like makeup. It's best when you don't know it's there. Mm -hmm. And here, because it's a little old, it's 97. Like it's obvious to our eyes now, but I think in 97, you wouldn't have noticed it as much. Yeah. And I think they also might have spent more time rendering then. Mm -hmm. I think there was something about a fear of making it look fake Mm -hmm. that they would just say, run it for, you know, a week if you have to, to render this one scene. We're going to make it look as sharp as possible. Mm -hmm. Because it really does. Like the scene when she jumps off the building Mm. into all those cars that she's passing through still looks pretty good. I mean, better than some digital effects I've seen recently. So, (laughs) Hashtag Valerian. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, poor Valerian. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) That was a $100 million movie. I know. You couldn't render it for a week? (laughs) Come on. But yeah, and and like the creatures look pretty good. Not the robot ones, the uh, the Mangalores. Yeah, the mercenary ones. Yeah, they look pretty good. There's an unfortunate like changing of the face shakeout scene, which is even that doesn't look terrible though. Yeah, it's not bad moon levels of, uh, <laughs> of transformation, but yeah, I remember the the transformation that was in the uh, television commercial. Oh yeah, the, the TV spot. Yeah, yeah. Like movies from this era, I can always like be like that was in the television commercial uh-huh. like that was that was on the tv spot and, and you know i don't even know why i went and saw this movie now that i think about it i think just some friends were like do you want to go see a movie were you not into sci-fi at this point i i was but i was just i don't know i wasn't really into movies i think at that point mm. i've gone back and rewatched like the the ones that are, have been deemed important but it was like from junior high up until i was like 22 so like ages 13 to 22 i didn't watch a lot of movies yeah like I di- I went to a lot of movies as a kid, but then I guess once I started having to pay for it myself, I stopped going. Yeah. And I didn't really start picking it up again until like I started going to Scarecrow. And that's what really fueled it, but between like 96 to 2003, there's sort of a valley of like what would be popular movies, like pop culture movies that yeah. I just totally missed out on. Like I watched like Can't Hardly Wait as like a 30-year-old. <laughs> don't do it oh, <laughs> like d- don't revisit that one but yeah j- just you know rules of attraction and things like that like mm-hmm. i watched those all as like an adult and like they just don't hold yeah. up yeah this movie might have gotten me at my sweet spot of like this is one movie that like i saw at that time and really liked it yeah i also really like the editing too the, there's like a couple scenes where it's sort of archer style editing where somebody will say something and then there'll be a cut to something that is related to it, but yeah. funny. Like an example is like when Zorg opens the case that the Mangalore's bringing, he goes, this case is empty, and it cuts to Lilu laughing. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean, empty? Empty. The opposite of full. This case is supposed to be full. Anyone care to explain? It's just stuff like that. It's kind of all over. Also, like the launch sequence of the plane when they go to Flossed in Paradise with Ruby Rod and like all the sexual innuendos. <laughs> um, like, just it's all over. And so that's fun. How much of, I mean, you had to have known this was coming. How much of Lilu can you impersonate? You don't have to do it right now. Just know that it's on the horizon. Mm, I've got a few. I've got a few. Uh, as, watching it jogged my memory on some of them. So I think that's also another thing is that. I've heard you quote Lilu before, so it, it just further solidifies that like you and Lilo are like cut from the same cloth. <laughs> you are also a perfect human. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually an actual language that Luke Besson made up, mm. and uh, it has like four hundred words or something. And she and he used to like write letters and communicate in it during oh. the filming of this. To, yeah, to help okay. build her vocabulary. I was wondering because it's actually pretty hard just to like make up noises and have it sound legit yeah so i was wondering how much thought that they put into it it was like tolkien levels of like yeah. making a language no or it's a real like language on levels of making a language or yeah apparently luke Besson has ha- had had this movie in his head or started writing it when he was like eight years old hmm. and then he made it or i can kind of see that yeah finally came onto the screen when he was like 30 hmm. but 38 or something like that but yeah so he's he was working on that for a while okay 
Oh, so this is another juicy fact I learned. Apparently, at the time, he was married to the actress who played the diva, Plava Laguna. Oh. And uh, they, he ended up leaving her for Mila Jovovich during the filming of this. So one thing that I always... Scoundrel. Uh, if you ever watch La Femme Nikita, she looks a lot like... Just like the way that she shot and like the way that like she holds herself... Uh, a lot like Mila Jovovich in this movie. Mm. And I always kind of feel like he's got a type. Yeah. He likes his skinny, curveless women. <laughs> I don't know. Mila's got a pretty strong cult following. Like, she's got a like rabid fan base of incels that would <laughs> just love to unleash their hate sex on her. Uh, incels are not a thing, okay? <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. Uh, okay, a bunch of uh, people who've been friend zoned. Yeah, sure. Let's stick with that. Is that is that true? Like, are people still just? God, yeah, I can't wait. One of the other podcasts I listen to uh, called "How Did This Get Made?" Mm-hmm. that like dissects really bad movies. Okay, they did her movie Ultraviolet. Oh yeah, I remember that. One of the things that they do on that podcast is they go through like Amazon reviews. At, it's like the segment's called like Second Opinions. It's mm-hmm. like. Everyone who's, you know, ripping the movie apart hates it. Like on the podcast, everyone hates it. So they go through like and see who's like leaving five star reviews on Amazon, like 10 stars on IMDb or something. And there was just like a disproportionate number of people who were like, I love Mila Jovovich and I will give five stars to any movie that she's in. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's one of the byproducts of attaching yourself to say a video game movie franchise because like, you know. When puberty strikes and you're still a golem, like all teenage boys are, you play a lot of video games. Sure. And then you watch the movies based on those video games, and Mila Jovovich happens to be the person that you channel your sexual frustrations into. So, Every time you respawn, somebody's beating (laughs) off to Mila Jovovich. A A bunch of horny teenagers... Looked at me and like, I bet she's a cool girl. I bet she's just real cool. And much like when you see Chris O'Donnell in his little trapeze outfit and the little 14-year-old in you gets like a wee boner, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that's the way that it is for all these uh, sexually frustrated men's rights activists. Sure. And it all started with this movie. Can you imagine? <laughs> wow. Talk about an origin story. <laughs> but she's married to Paul W.S. Anderson now. Like yeah, the they were who, only married for a couple of years. So. Yeah, and he directs all the Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Whatever. She's probably got so much money from them. Uh, mm-hmm. And good for her. Get mm-hmm. it. You get that money. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not going to shame anyone for making a buck. Yeah. It's an honest buck. Like, they're making a movie. People pay to see them. Yeah. I got no problem with it. I'm not going to shame her. What? I don't know how to pivot to this, but we've got we've to get to Ruby Rod. Let's just dive in. On the topic of a perfect cast. (laughs) He just shows up at just the right moment. I think it's like an hour in and you're just starting to get like, oh. It's like we've lived with these characters a little bit. It's like, you know, when you watch a television show and you can kind of binge watch more than 90 minutes of a television show a lot. Yeah. And it's because different characters come in and out. There's different plot lines. And with a movie, when it's real long, you're just like, oh, I'm kind of tired of these characters. And Ruby Rod comes in right when you're feeling like you might be getting tired of these characters. Oh, he just injects so much life into the movie, and right back into it. Because he's a stark contrast to the other characters in the movie, really. But at the same time, he fits right in in this hyper-real world. There's no reason to believe that he is not part of whatever the hell this world is. Yeah. This boy is fueled like fire. So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot. hot. He's played by Chris Tucker. Head and shoulders is the greatest role Chris Tucker's ever done. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen him do anything better than this. He comes on and he just, he's got this presence and I don't know, he just commands the screen at that point. A hotel of a thousand and one follies, lollies, and lick lollies, a magic fountain flow of nonstop wine, women, and all night long. All night long. All night. Ooh. It's also fun because he's, from a distance, you'd be like, hmm, flaming homosexual. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not. He's just sort of a pansexual being, yeah. I would imagine. I mean, he's like 
Prince mixed with like some shock jock. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wither, ladies, wither. He's gonna set the world on fire. Right here from five to seven, you know everything there is to know about that demon. Cause yeah, he comes on and like he's got like the one outfit that's like. I don't know what you'd call it. Like, it looks like a it's dress leopard print with like a rose collar. Yeah, that's his. That's his fancy outfit. Yeah, <laughs> but before he comes in with like this crazy leopard print skin tight bodysuit with a huge fanned out collar and mm-hmm. like a weird blonde hairdo with like a, a tube coming out of his forehead. Yeah, it, it's not like a solid like cylinder because there's like a hollow. Point yeah, it wiggles it. around with his head. But yeah, he, he comes on and he's just magnanimous. The cadence of of his words. There's all this weird effects they're throwing on everywhere that just sort of immediately make you feel like you're on drugs. I also like because he seems super super gay, but he's not. Like you know, we very quickly see him like going down on a girl. Yeah, Mr. Rod. You're going to have to assume your individual position. I don't want one position. I want all positions. Part of me thinks that like that's the type of role that like someone would be like, okay, I'll do this, but like he can't be gay. Mm-hmm. And like they would shoehorn something straight into it. But it feels like the straightness is like was built in already. Yeah. It was like he's supposed to be this like overly sexual womanizer. And then it kind of morphed into like this hypersexual prince type character. Yeah. Because his entourage is a bunch of uh homosexuals are they i think we can assume okay i mean one of them calls him master at one point so (laughs) i don't know i just got the impression that he was like sort of pansexual uh and would just kind of fuck anything Mm, a regular james spader and crash yes (laughs) because i mean he's not afraid to you know put his arm on around corbin as they walk Mm. into the opera house and things like that he's just sort of whatever yeah and he's definitely like a uh a butterfly. He, he enjoys the attention. He enjoys showing off. Mm-hmm. He's just an overall fun character. Yeah. You know, really, I could have him in more movies. <laughs> let, let, let's build him. Oh, let, let's man. do a greater fifth element universe and we work in Ruby Rod. I also, every time when he screams, <laughs> I laugh. I crack up every time. I know it's coming. I know exactly what it sounds like. And it's hilarious to me. And he's such a gossip, like when they're walking through the opera house. And <laughs> I love to sing. She recently confessed to me. By the way, I have a recording of a talented voice. <laughs> I play the rest of the song after the concert because right now it's time for Cubby to say the word of the day. So tell me, my man, you were happy in the big I love, and I also love how just frustrated he is with Corbin as his as the winner oh, of the Gemini contest. Such a, such a downer. He just cannot work with this with this person who's not playing with him. Thrilling. <laughs> and now, Japan. And then right after that, we get the diva scene, which is also another highlight of the movie. Right when it, you think it's going to start taking a nosedive again. What I like about the the aria scene is that. A, the aria itself that I think Eric Sarah wrote. Uh, no, it's from Lucia de Lamamore. Oh, it is? Donizetti wrote it, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I was going to say, this sounds like a real aria. It is, yeah. Oh, okay, that would be why. <laughs> and then it turns into, of course, what we all know it as. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of fun. If there's one scene that I think sticks in people's mind from this movie, even just at, at casual watches, mm-hmm. it's the Diva Plava Laguna. And that happens an hour and 15 minutes in. Yeah. So it's like, that means that the movie kept your attention long enough for that. And it's a two hour movie. I was surprised to discover that upon this watch. I, it always feels shorter than that to me. There's enough dynamic things that happen throughout the movie that it really it hits that pacing stride just right like it it never really lulls like 
when you're getting like that sort of second act lull to like bring you to the climax, that's when Ruby Rod comes in. Yeah. And really like be hard for anyone other than Chris Tucker to do that because Chris Tucker's got I mean. already that that exuberance that the role calls for. You know, you couldn't have Kevin Hart do that role. <laughs> and that, that takes you from like middle of act two into like the finale. Yeah. And I realized this in past viewings too. The only time it starts to really lull for me is sort of after Flostin blows up, after we lose Zorg, spoiler alert, and then we actually have to deal with like this planet that's like formed. Oh, yeah, that actually kind of seems like the least interesting the le- part. Yeah, and then like we find out that the fifth element is love or whatever. You're just like, okay. <laughs> like you've been so good up until this point, and then we have to like tie it up somehow. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hokey, a little hammy. Not to a point that it turns me off from the movie, clearly, but mm-hmm. it's just enough that I'm... That's usually when I kind of check out, if I'm going to check out. Yeah, like, the planet thing... I don't know, like, Zorg and the mercenaries and Ruby Rod and Corbin and Lilu, that is enough of a story all to itself. And then it's kind of bookended with this, like, planet that destroys other planets. Yeah, which was a question I had this time around, is, like, why is it targeting Earth? Because we've clearly got life forms on other planets now. Yeah, maybe it's just making the rounds. Maybe it does destroy other planets, and it's just like starts with Earth. Yeah, it's I don't first know. in the alphabet, <laughs> <laughs> planets that have life on them. So, I mean, spoiler alert: they uh, stop the thing from destroying all of humanity, and like the like once they stop it, it kind of turns into like a little ball. And I was like, oh, is the implication here that this is how the moon got created? That's what I think. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah, it's like once it dies, it turns into like another moon, and then you see the regular moon in the background. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, is it saying that like our moon is here because we stopped it once? That's before? the mythos, I'm assuming. Okay, yeah. I was just I that was, that wasn't a thought that I'd had previously oh, when okay. I was watching it. Yeah, and so I thought, I don't know. Spoiler alert, I was stoned while watching this. Uh, so I didn't know if it was just me stone thinking or what. But. Yeah. It's a real slide whistle ending, too, after that. That's like, <laughs> ugh. It's rough. It's a hard hard pass on that ending. But um, they're... Like when they're in the tube? Yeah. And, like, Corbin's mother calls and it's, oh. somehow reaches the president. Mrs. Dallas, this is the president. On behalf of the Federation, I would like to thank oh, you. please. That doesn't even sound like him. The president's an idiot, and you don't sound like an idiot. That's a gag, too, that I'm sort of like, oh, okay. The mom gag? Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's got, like, the stereotypical, like, Long Island Jewish mother thing. You miserable bastard. I never should have pushed you out. And Corbin has... N- nothing about him makes me think that he's, like, East Coast or Long Island or Jewish. And I'm like... Or beholden to his mom. Yeah, there's just like there's just nothing about it that the gag's okay, but I just don't see that gag and Bruce Willis like it, that. Those two things don't mesh with me. Yeah, we should have had her moving into uh, into the apartment and uh, have her just come out of the shower as he comes home after a hard day at work, and she's just like, "Otto, what?" <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> Or, or, or they're eating Thai food in the window together, and then she rests her head on his shoulder. Long zoom out, and oh, your lie, oh, my neck, <laughs> and the pretty <laughs> You can keep the song. I'm fine with that. She should have sang the song in that language. Yeah. As we're coming out, she looks to camera and starts singing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we could have a "Why do you build me up, Buttercup?" Uh, style ending, <laughs> like uh, what's that? What's that movie? That There's something the about Mary. There's something about Mary style ending. Have bring all the characters back, but do it to that song. <sighs> <laughs> to whatever language it is that yeah. she's singing. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's kind of it. Otherwise, like a lot of things I wrote were just like stupid quotes and things I've noticed throughout this movie. Like when Lilu's getting reconstructed. Yes. There's a bunch of character actors or just like bit actors who have lines that I just, I recognize every time. There's one guy who has a weird white goatee and he says, 10 seconds to ultraviolet protection. (laughs) Something about the way he says it. (laughs) And then later, right after that, after she escapes, he says, General alert. These aren't even quotes. (laughs) This is just like stock lines that he pulled out of like. The screenwriting 101 handbook. Know, but something about it just sticks in my brain. What next are you going to say? Like, oh. uh, uh, secure the perimeter? 
I let my favorite sequence of lines here. I'll do this much for you. Okay. Is um, when, uh, when Corbin is boarding the plane for Floss in Paradise, people keep trying to impersonate him to get on. And so finally, uh, the young priest comes up with Lilu trying to pose as Corbin Dallas. And uh, he puts his multipass in and goes, thank you. Multipass. Yeah. And she, the stewardess goes, Mr. Dallas. And he goes, uh, yeah. And she goes, congratulations on winning the contest. And he's like, oh. And she goes, sorry about the mess. And he goes, what? She goes, garbage. And then that's when they both turn around and see Bruce Willis coming up. And that's when uh, Lilo goes, ah, cha-cha Hamas. <laughs> you don't even know, need to know what she's saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I'm a firm believer that like comedy, good situation comedy, kind of like doesn't need language. Yeah. Like there's a reason why like we can watch Buster Keaton and still kind of laugh. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, just like good look. <laughs> You know, is all it really takes. It's like that episode of uh, Rick and Morty where they get all the television channels. Uh, <laughs> you could easily sit down and watch a sitcom in another weekend. Planet. Of Dead Cat Ladies Eight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get it. Yeah, I'm laughing already. Like I think that's the mom, and she's mad about the garbage disposal. Good acting is what sells this movie, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and decent special effects, great costumes. I actually like that the soundtrack is constant. The story is silly, doesn't take itself too seriously, but takes the movie. Mm-hmm. The people in the movie are taking themselves yeah, seriously. Yeah, the, the craft of the movie is taken seriously, but I don't think anyone ever really asks, like, what's my character's motivation? Here? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think they're just like, I got this. I also liked, I think I noticed this time that all the exposition is done with a wink. You know? Oh, yeah. Like earlier when we were talking about the stones missing, that's exposition, but it's mm-hmm. done in a fun way. Yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that just keeps you entertained. Whereas, like, you know, say Infinity War, we're stuck with Thanos being like, back in my time, <laughs> here, let me tell you a story. And it's like, <laughs> ugh, can we punch this up somehow? Yeah. I know. That's just, this is the movie making I like. This is the style I like. If you put a gun to my head and said, what's your favorite movie? And I picked this one. I would not be sad. I heard this phrase once and I, it, I mean, it's probably only like 51% true, but it said that artists are always most interesting right before they get famous. Mm. And I feel like this is the movie that Luc Besson made right before he got famous. Yeah, it, it made him famous. Yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, he, I think he went off of Leon the professional into this, like this was like his American movie mm-hmm. for the mainstream. And after that, he kind of just has made like fluffy, whatever fuck. So he was still sort of like, it's he, something to prove. He was still hungry here, yeah. I guess is, is what I'm saying. Like he couldn't rest on his laurels at, at this point. Like he had to like go out and like kick a little ass to make a movie. Yeah. And it shows. Like, yeah. the movie has a different vibe than a lot of big summer blockbusters. Hashtag Infinity Wars. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me in this like i said i haven't seen it in a couple years and just sitting down and started watching i immediately started smiling and i think i will always love this movie i mean it's a solid movie like of the movies that i liked in high school this one's held up pretty well it's a lot of fun but we can't talk about this movie for another three hours matt we have to move on to other ones Jeez, can you just stop talking about it? I'm gonna, it's going to take me forever to edit it. All right, all right. I'm cutting, it, cutting the umbilical cord here. Thank you. Uh, what do we got coming up next week? So next week, continuing my exploration of sexy shockers. And next week, I'm, I'm going a little arty. We're going a little esoteric. Okay. A little underground here. I'm getting worried. Uh, I'm picking uh, French... Art house independent film. Okay. Homosexual in oh. nature by Francis Uzon. Mm. Uh, his film Criminal Lovers. Oh. Uh, now, is this the director that was slowly being depleted by chlorofluorocarbons? <laughs> is that a boo drop or uh, <laughs> a cricket's drop? I can't tell. I think it's a cricket's drop. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he's big in France and, like, nowhere else. Okay. But uh, he himself is gay. So oh, So okay. most of his movies have sort of a 
gay streak running through him. Cool. Through them. Sweet. Well, great. I can't wait to continue. So far, this exploration has been a lot of interesting. <laughs> and I can't wait to see what's next. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's highs and lows, and this is the creamy center. Okay. <laughs> Looking forward to it. So next week, Criminal Lovers. Excellent. Excellent. Plug our junk. Get the fuck out. Yep. 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 Follow us on Twitter at X Rated Movies. We've got lots of pictures and lots of words for you. Also, our retweets are choice. Uh, make sure you check out our website. It's xratedmovies.com. We've got everything we've ever done there, and it's done with uh, the beautiful Squarespace template that uh, made it really easy and simple to use. Yeah. Even though I have no experience with web design, I felt like I could make a professional-looking website with no hassle or headache. You be the judge of how professional it looks by going there, judging it, and letting us know. Follow us on Facebook, at Rated X Movies. That's where we post like what's coming out next, new episodes, stuff like that. And whatever you're downloading this on, go to the source of that and leave us five stars. Mm-hmm. Whether it be Google, Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, whatever it is, leave us love. Yeah, we love reviews too. Tell us what you think. If you want us to call you out by name, put that in your review and we will definitely say your name on the podcast. That is a guarantee. If you want to email us, it's uh, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we look forward to all those. Be here next week for the uh, homoerotic criminal lovers. Bye.